Now it's on. I'm glad my years of breathing like Darth Vader are long gone. Praise God. All right. Well, I wanted you guys to sit up front because I like to make eye contact. But if you're turned around looking that way, I can't make eye contact. And I have a rule. If you're looking at me, I'll assume you're listening to me and paying attention, even if you're not. Okay? So eye contact, that works. This is the splash zone up here, you know? You ever been to SeaWorld? Well, you know, that big whale comes out. Well, don't worry, I'm not going to breach. So (laughs) Mr. Cully says this is where the wrath gets all over you. I don't know, I don't know. These evening talks, I think, you know, if I was here in 2009, I think that was a different Roger Wagner. Last time I remember being here was 2005. Oh, one of the potpourri. The potpourri, yes, I forgot the potpourri. Okay. Anyway, in 2005, I asked if I could talk to the kids more in the evening uh, because I like to do that. Um, And uh, they've sort of kept that up, I guess. So now I get to do it again. And this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about imitating Jesus. You know what imitating means? No? Okay, do this. That's imitating You do what I do. All right, let's practice this. Everybody, you know your right ear from your left ear? Yeah, okay. Whoop, whoop, whoop. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, all right. So, imitation. You do what you see someone else doing. And we learn so much of what we learn by imitation. And that's a very helpful thing. You know, the the trick if you have several children is to get the first one to do it right, and then every other one is just going to do what their older brother or sister does. And imitation runs downhill. And so we learn by imitation. You know, sometimes you'll learn bad things by imitation. Have any of you ever learned something bad? by imitation? Like belching at the dinner table? Huh? Yeah, so we learn good things, we learn bad things by imitation. Um, You learn how to speak the language by imitation. You hear the sound of your parents and others speaking the language, and then you learn, way before you learn anything about definitions of words, You learn how to form them, and you try it, and you sound so cute because it's not right, but it's cute. It's almost there, right? So we learn, and and before you even thought about it, your mom and dad were saying, Mama, 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 and Daddy, 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 because you know there's a contest. Is the kid going to say Mama first or Daddy first? Or is he going to say Uncle Louie from New Jersey, who hasn't even been around? Yeah, Papa, that's easier than Daddy. 
So we learn. And the idea is then that we learn from Jesus by imitation as well. Um, Jesus did some things that he told us to imitate. How many of you know the story of, this was the night before Jesus was crucified. He was in the upper room with his disciples. He was going to have the last supper with them, right? The Passover. And before they ate the meal, Jesus did something very, very strange. He set his robe aside. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And then he went around and he washed the disciples' feet. One after another, after another, after another. Until he got to Peter and Peter did what you did. No, you're not. Not mine. And then when he was all done, he put his robe back on. And he says, do you understand what I have done for you? I'm your master. I'm your Lord. And I have stooped down to wash your feet. And then he said, I've left you an example that you should follow. Now, we don't need to talk about just how that foot washing is supposed to happen. It certainly means a willingness to serve people that uh, are not more important than us, are not bigger than us, actually are under us. Because here's the Lord who washed the disciples' feet. And so we ought also to have that concern. But, But he wants us to follow his example. But there's a problem. Can anybody guess what it might be? A problem of... You know, there have been books around a long, long time. There was a very, very famous book at the end of the Middle Ages called The Imitation of Christ. And then way, 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 way later, there were all these little bracelets that said WWJD. You know what that stood for? What would Jesus do? And all the time in between, people saying, All we need to do is follow Jesus' example, and we can be good people. Is there a problem with that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did she put her hand over your mouth? I asked you a question, and you... Yeah, there's a problem with that. Which leads to the next point we have to think about. If Jesus is nothing more than a moral example, as many people think he is, then all we need to do is try to follow his example. And actually, people who say that normally think we can actually follow Jesus' example 80, 85, 90% of the time, so we can be good people. And that is completely wrong. Jesus did things for us during his life that we absolutely could never do for ourselves. We're sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Huh? Yeah? Me? How about you? You got to think about it a little bit? Yeah. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot help ourselves. We cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps by following Jesus' example. 
Jesus did some very, very special things. And we need to remember that. And we need to to keep our eyes focused on what he did as the second Adam and the Son of God who came into the world to provide an atonement for our sins. You know what atonement means? You've heard it. It'll come back to you in about three days, but we don't have time. What do you think? Like something is a substitute. A substitute who dies paying the penalty for someone else's sin, right? All those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament fulfilled then in the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. And then Jesus rose again for our justification. We can't do that for ourselves. So we want to fully or try to fully appreciate the uniqueness of what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. Keep that center stage. Yeah? Yeah. Always zeroed in on the unique work of Christ. And you know, some Christians are so concerned that we not slip into a kind of moralism that they get really nervous. They even get a tick, you know, sometimes, thinking about, Jesus is an example. We don't want any kind of moralistic, exemplary use of the Scripture. So all we talk about is what Jesus did that was unique, and then we kind of leave it for people to figure out where to go from there. That's no good either. We shouldn't be more nervous than the Bible itself is nervous about talking about example. And there's a couple of passages tonight, and this is kind of by way of introduction, to, um, to think about that maybe will help us. And oh, they're there! I was worried that someone was going to put that thing about the cat with the radio and the songs that are now oldies. That was very offensive to me. <laughs> but we got Peter up here. Okay. Do you think we could read this together? Yeah, yeah, is it big enough? I can see it with my glasses, how about you? All right, let's try this. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wow, you read very well. Thank you for your help. Peter is talking to people who are suffering for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when you're suffering, you usually think, I must be doing something wrong, so I'll try to do something right, and then I won't suffer anymore. The problem is, that wasn't helping. They were suffering for doing what was right. So doing more of what was right 
was just bringing more suffering. And so Peter's trying to encourage his readers in that situation. And he draws attention to Jesus. And what I like about this passage, particularly in light of this theme of imitating Jesus, is that he appealed to one of Jesus' experiences that was absolutely unique and then finds within that unique experience some principles that we can also put into practice in our ordinary experience of life. Let's think about the unique again, first of all. He quoted there at the end from Isaiah, the suffering servant of the Lord who gave himself up by his wounds we are healed. Jesus' atoning work and what he experienced. You remember again, when Jesus was on his way to be crucified, um, he was uh, beaten by some soldiers, yes? Yeah? I mean, it was... You know, sometimes when we have the advantage over a weaker person, we just turn into such monsters. So they blindfolded him, and then they hit him, and then they said, if you're a prophet, tell us who hit you. Of course, Jesus couldn't see who hit him. He was blindfolded. So they hit him again, and they hit him again. He was being bruised because he'd done something wrong. Not at all. No, his bruise, he bruised for our iniquities and he kept quiet and then later on the crowd was saying if you're the Christ if you're the son of God come on down from that cross they didn't understand that it was because he was the Christ because he was the son of God that he had to stay on that cross until he had died and provided atonement so here Peter is thinking about the unique atoning work of Jesus But then he says, all of that is also an example of someone suffering for doing what was right. And he draws particularly attention to, um, you know, the temptation that we all have when somebody gets on us unjustly. We want to set the record straight. They call us a name. We want to call them a worse name. They take a swipe at us. We want to punch them back. That kind of Oh, I'm going to get even. I I hate this. And you know, we never outgrow that. And even Christians spend an awful lot of time defending themselves against unjust charges. Peter said Jesus didn't do that. He didn't answer back. He didn't revile. He didn't call the soldiers names. He didn't rage at them like we do sometimes. He kept quiet like a lamb before his shearers and kept entrusting himself to his Father who judges justly. I mean, think about that. When you're being oppressed and accused, there's a God in heaven who always judges justly. And you don't have to defend yourself. He will defend you. So Peter says, when we're reviled, when we're misunderstood, when we're hammered by people for doing what's good, we can look to Jesus as an example. We can walk in his steps. And so here Peter brings the unique about Jesus' experience and the common about Jesus' experience together so that we can both thank God for what Christ has done on our behalf and then say, you know, when I'm suffering unjustly, I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to have his meek 
and quiet spirit in the face of that. Now, I'm not particularly good at that. How about you guys? Somebody gives it to me, I want to give it back to them double. And boy, if I am wrongly accused, you call people names? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. You ever smacked somebody because they smacked you? You know, these are my grandsons over here. Smack, 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 smack. Stop it, smack, smack, smack. Stop it, smack, smack. And you know what they always say? He did it first. Huh? Hmm? He admits it, see? You're my witnesses. Jesus didn't smack back. He didn't call names. He trusted in his Father to accomplish his work. Now that meant that Jesus was unjustly executed. But on a deeper level, he was justly executed because he bore our sins in his own body on the cross. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, should die for me? And when you put those two things together, our gratitude for the uniqueness of what Jesus has done for us, and then this call to imitate Him, you have the motivation for the imitation. Why do I want to live and act like Jesus? Because Jesus has given Himself up for me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So when you think about Peter... And this passage, he's giving us a good idea of what imitating Jesus is and what it is not. It's not simply a moral program using Jesus as an example, and we try by our own efforts to approximate his practice as much as we can. That's a dead end. It'll never work. But rather to see the uniqueness of his work on our behalf and then to imitate him out of love and gratitude. There's another verse that's similar, uh, comes up in Luke chapter 9. We won't all read this, I'll just read it here, but you follow along. And Jesus strictly charged and commanded his disciples to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There again, he, Jesus is talking about his own death. He had to carry his cross. That's the way the Romans did it. Just to had, add insult to injury, you're going to be executed and you're going to have to carry your own cross. Now, they didn't always do that, but in Jesus' case... They wanted to make a particular point. So Jesus had to carry his cross. And of course he couldn't do it, right? By the time he got to that point, he was so weak that eventually they got Simon the Cyrene to to carry it for him. And then they nailed him to that cross and lifted him up to die. So again, Jesus is pointing to something unique that he was going to do. But then he said, you know... If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to be ready to die. 
You have to carry the instrument of your own death. You have to deny yourself in order to be my disciple. So again, the idea of example, following in his steps, is what Jesus is talking about here. Not because we can help ourselves by imitating Christ, but trusting in what he has done, then we follow in his steps. Sometimes people talk about, oh, I have my cross to bear. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe it's a nagging wife. Maybe it's an uncaring husband. Oh, my cross to bear. Maybe it's my kids. Oh, I have to carry this cross. That's not what it means to carry a cross. A cross is for one thing and one thing only. You die on it. And to carry your cross means to get ready to die. And Jesus says that's the call every single day. To die to self that you might live unto God. So there's a right way and a wrong way to learn from Jesus by imitation. And over the next three nights that we have together, I'm going to talk about three. Working like Jesus, praying. Hey, where are you going? Get back. (laughs) I got to go to the bathroom. Right over. He's almost done. Sorry, kid. Still friends? I'll move back over here. I can pick on these guys with impunity. (laughs) What I say? Working like Jesus, praying like Jesus, and then finally, loving like Jesus. And in all of these, we'll think about the example of working, the example of praying, and the example of loving that Jesus has set before us. But I don't want you to forget for a minute what we've said tonight. The imitation is the second step. The first step is to trust in what this Jesus has done for you that you cannot do for yourself. He has satisfied the wrath and the justice of a holy God. He has secured for you by His own faithfulness and obedience, acceptance with God, and the hope of eternal life. And you couldn't in a million years do that for yourself. You receive that by faith alone. But then, having been forgiven, having been accepted, having that hope of eternal life, we think, how should I live? What's what's the best way for me to live? Jesus gives us the example of that perfect humanity. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Romans 8.29 that we were predestined, those of us who are believers, the elect are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we are, in a real sense, brothers and sisters with Jesus in our humanity. And God's purpose is to make all of us look more and more like His beloved Son. So we think like Him, and we plan like Him, And we sacrifice like Him. And we respond to difficulty like Him. And we love the unlovely like Him. That's what it's all about. Now you can get at the ethical life from other angles, but this is the one we're going to talk about this week when we're together. Is that all right? Did you get it? Yeah? Are we done yet? No. 
All right, let's pray. Lord, our Savior is so beautiful, so holy, so faithful and true. We talk about his sinless life, and rightly so, but for a man, a God-man to be sure, but a man to live a life that truly pleases you, what could be a higher illustration, a greater example of how we as men and women, boys and girls, new creatures in Christ should shape our lives. We pray, Lord, that as we think together about these things this week, we would, first of all, be so very, very thankful for what Jesus has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. Lord, some of us have been Christians for a long, 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 long time. We pray that our hearts would continue to break with joy to know what a wonderful Savior is Jesus, our Lord. What a wonderful Savior to me. But Lord, we pray that we might also, by that love and gratitude, be motivated to watch his every move, to listen to his every word, to hear his every command of instruction, and to do our very best to follow that example, even as your Spirit forms Christ in us, forms us into the likeness of the Son. For as we behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, your Spirit, O Lord, will transform us into that image from glory to glory. Lord, we're thankful that you're never too young to begin this process. And I thank you that so many of these kids here with Christian families have already been introduced to learning to be like Christ, always trusting in what Jesus has done, always confessing our sin and and receiving the forgiveness that he has promised us, but then seeking to walk in his steps, to follow his example, to think and speak and act as he did. Lord, in that May you be glorified in our lives, and we pray it for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening.